Adams, Adamly, Adamowski, Bueller, Burns, Burns, Burns. It's time for school, Rock School, with your hosts, Dr. Joe Burns. Although laws were in place, there was this thing called the white umbrella of owners and providers, and they were in charge of handing out the protection. And they would hand out, seriously, they would hand out protection to white artists much differently than African-American artists. This is just the dirtiest thing I've ever heard. Isn't it awful? Class is in. This is the Rock School Radio Show here on the Rock School Radio Network. My name is Joe Burns. You are? I am Tammy Burns. You are Tammy Burns for Uh most of the day and half the night. This is a topic today that will be a little uncomfortable. For me? Well, for everybody, I think. Now, look, I teach film history at the university, and I let people know right up front, it's even in my syllabus, that, look, I'm not interested in offending you. It's not my purpose. But on the same aspect, I will not sort of walk away from parts of history that are uncomfortable. Okay. I was looking at the web, as I normally do, just sort of searching for topics, and it hit me from the history.com page that during the first week of April 1955, the song Dance With Me Henry by Georgia Gibbs and Thurl Ravenscroft. You know who Thurl Ravenscroft is? I have no idea. He is the original Tony the Tiger. Oh. There. Right. Well, he also sings the songs. He's not the he's not the narrator, but he sings the songs in the Grinch Who Stole Christmas uh, special that goes on you TV. You mean one, mm-hmm. Mr. Mr. Grinch? Grinch? That's right. Cool. So this woman, George Gibbs and Thurl Ravencroft, climb up the charts, yeah. and they do very well with this song, "Dance with Me, Henry." Okay, so what? Whenever you say first. You got to kind of wink because there are always going to be people out there that are going to say, now look, it's not quite the first, but it is believed this is the first time that an admitted incident of what's been termed as whitewashing happened. Okay? Whitewashing. Right. There was a time in the 1950s, and I'm going to get into why it happened and where it came from. Uh There was a time in the 1950s where African-American songs... Yeah. Although they were very good, were looked at by the radio industry because of influences from ASCAP and other things. Right. You couldn't you you can't play that. You can't play that because it's by an African American artist. Yeah. But the song's really good. So what they did was found squeaky clean white artists to cover it. And it has been we're gonna talk about that today, the idea of whitewashing. It lasted about four years. So this idea of whitewashing music, the original of the song was by Etta James. It was written by Johnny Otis, and it was called Roll With Me, Henry. If you know anything... I know what that's about. Right. Yeah. You know, you know anything about the term rock and roll, uh-huh. it means sex. Yeah. 
you can't just say nasty things back in 55 like you can today. Yeah. So this idea of roll with me Henry would not be good. It would be too risque for the people. So you had to clean it up. It was redone. So why not have Etta James redo it? There is the ugly insipid part of it. Right. When they whitewashed it's called whitewashing for a reason. It, oh my gosh, that right. is so uncomfortable. Now, let me ask you a question. Yeah. Would you rather I played the original of these songs so you can hear it, the African-American version of the song? Or do you want to hear what was the whitewashed version of the song? I want to hear both. Is that I want, bad? I want to play a clip of one and then right into the other one. Okay. I'm thinking about playing the whitewashed one for about 10, 15 seconds, and then the original recording. Yeah, let's do that. Because the original recording much better, is isn't just it? flat out better. <laughs> so the original, the one you're going to hear right now, the one that made the hit, George Gibbs with Thurl Ravencroft, Dance With Me Henry. You'll hear about 10, you're 15 seconds of it. Great. That's right. And then you're going to hear the original by Etta James. So for an hour today... We're going to talk about an uncomfortable topic. I am. I am. I am turning around over here. This is so uncomfortable. <laughs> We're going to talk about it. Where did it come from? Why was it? How did it occur? It was done legally. And we're going to tell you all oh. about it. So here are the two tunes back to back here on Rock School. Hey, baby. What do I have to do to make a hit with you? You got to dance with me, Henry. All right, baby. What do I have to do to make you love me too? You got to roll with me, Henry. All right, baby. Roll with me, Henry. Don't mean maybe. Roll with me, Henry. Any old time. Roll with me, Henry. Won't change my mind. Roll with me, Henry. All right. You better roll. Etta James, Roll With Me, Henry, written by Johnny Otis. That was also Johnny Otis that had the deep, deep voice Uh that was sort of playing around with Etta during the song. Now, we're talking about whitewashing, something that supposedly happened. And again, anytime you say first, you got to wink just a little bit. Something that happened early April 1955. It lasted about four years. How was it able to happen? That's And and again, when I say four years, you got to wink a little bit. Here's here's the problem. Uh The idea. The idea of people covering a song, black or white, was nothing new in 1955. There are many, many examples of white artists covering an African-American artist's music. For example, just think Elvis. Yeah. Hound Dog. 
You know, Absolutely. Big Mama Thornton was the original singer. Oh, yeah. And he also had a major hit with That's All Right Mama, which was done by Arthur Big Boy Crudup. Uh-huh. Now, the difference is twofold. Okay. Elvis covered the songs because he thought they were great, not because a record company wanted to sanitize the music. And it also had to do with how both sides of the music were treated. And therein lies the concern. You know what I mean? I, I it's, do. You can cover the song, but if both sides are treated fairly, then, you know, great, let's go forward. Well, but Elvis, that's not what happened. Elvis was the right person covering the song. He was. And we're going to talk about the fact that a lot of the, the African-American artists who were whitewashed said, although it was terrible when it was happening, it helped down the line. In fact, I'm going to quote Little Richard a little later on in the show because Little Richard really is the joke that everyone goes to I know, at this. right? The thing is, this was discussed openly. The idea of let's get an African-American song, we're going to find some squeaky... I'm, just, I'm saying it just because that's the squeaky way it was talked about. Squeaky clean white person. Squeaky clean white person to re-record it. Yep. And where a lot of people sort of point to is the Sam Phillips of Sun Records statement. I don't think he meant it in a terrible way, but it was just ham-fisted. Hit me. He made the statement. In fact, he made it multiple times. His assistant, Marion Keisker, who actually found Elvis, this idea that Sam Phillips walked into Sun Studios, the clouds parted, and a single beam of light landed on this young truck driver from Tupelo is just untrue. Secretary was there. Sam wasn't there. Right. She recorded. Right. Boom. There you have it. Yep. Apparently, Phillips said multiple times, and it's been said so many times, nobody knows what the actual quote is, but something to the effect of, if I could find a white man who sang like a black man, I could make a million dollars. I've also seen it as a billion dollars and all that. And again, I don't think he meant it in a horrible fashion. I don't think so. It was just ham-fisted. Right. So. Right. Talking about whitewashing, we're about to go back to the 1920s. We're going to talk royalties and all of that kind of stuff. But first, let's let's play what a lot of people think is the best joke of this. When Little Richard was recording his songs, yeah. did he do well on the R&B charts? Yes. yes. Did he do well on the Billboard Hot 100, the chart, the national chart? I don't know. No. Why? Because he was African-American and he was whitewashed. And what they did was found Pat Boone to cover. Did Tutti Frutti go to number one? You bet it did. Twice? By Little Richard? No, by Pat Boone. So once by by Pat Boone, huh? Here go. The bigger hits were always by Pat Boone. Yeah, I know. Now, which ones survived history? Uh Yeah. So we're going to play a little bit of Pat Boone. So you can hear it, 15, 20 seconds, right into Tutti Frutti by the person who should be singing it, Little Richard. That sounds like this on Rock School. Tutti Frutti, all Rudy. 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 I got a gal. Tutti Frutti. Sue, she knows just what to do. I 
love me, yes indeed. Boy, you don't know what you do to me, to the booty. I want to point out once again, you and I worked for Sam Phillips. Right. We were at a radio station in Alabama where Sam Phillips worked. Uh-huh. And I know a lot oh, of people... Oh, he owned. Owned, that's correct. Yeah. Um, uh, I think a lot of people will hear me make the statement that Sam Phillips didn't mean anything terrible by it. He was just ham-fisted. Look, I've met him two or three times. And furthermore, when you look at the music that Sam Phillips recorded in Sun Studio, yeah. it wasn't all squeaky clean white people. Oh, absolutely not. Oh, no. Not. He, he, had, he had multiple, multiple hits by African-American artists. And furthermore, maybe the first rock and roll song, a lot of people believe it, Jackie Brenston uh, and Rocket 88. It was the Ike Turner band, but because of some illegal things they had to call it Jackie Brenston right. who was the saxophonist for the band so let's move along where if I had to go all the way back in history to sort of suggest where this started mm-hmm. so you could even perceive the idea of whitewashing music yeah, and make it me. legal where did it start in the 1920s OK Records. The 20s. The 20s. OK Records. Spell it O-K-E-H. It's a conglomeration, a portmanteau of the two people that owned it. And some people don't pronounce it OK Records. They say OK because that's the way their two names Uh were done. It was a subsidiary of Odeon Records, and they created the term Race Records. Now, the term race records would sit for a long time until it was rebranded as rhythm and blues. But just remember, they were called race records to begin with. Why? Because they were African-American artists that were sold to an African-American population. Okay? Straightforward. Yes. The first song, if you really had to pick it, was Mamie Smith's Crazy Blues became wildly popular and because it was wildly popular it began to make its way into the white audience yes and people wow this is hmm, is listen to this Uh okay yep blatant segregation but the artists could make a living and release their songs here comes the depression boom yep it occurs this idea of marketing an African-American music to an African-American audience, it had to go away because no one was hit harder by the Depression than African-American people. They literally had no money, none whatsoever. And so this idea of the race records dried up in the 1930s. However, people still wanted that kind of music. So what happened was, before 1939, the concern was 1939, that's when some protection comes in, okay? We're going to get to that. Before 1939, usually an African-American person would be paid for the song while recording it. Okay. This is where the idea of the blue song was recorded, Robert Johnson's stuff, that record I have up on the wall right there, $50 and a bottle of liquor. And That's it, the and, idea. And you own the music then? No. No, 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 no. The record company owns That's the right. music. That's what I'm That's saying. Right. No, the, they, uh, they come in, that you paid them 50 bucks, 
and they walk away and you own their That's music. That's it. Yeah. That's right. Uh-huh. Now the song would be owned by the record company yep. and the record company could do with it as they please. Oh my. Previous to this, there was some protection uh-huh. and we got to get to 1939 because that's when more protection starts to come out. Okay. However, the way the protection is written oh dear. allowed people to legally further hurt a person who was African-American. Okay. So you get the idea? Because of the Depression, this idea of an African-American song for an African-American audience dies. Right. And then people still wanted that type of music. Yep. So what they did is you can have it, but we're going to pay you for it. Then we own it and you get lost. You got to walk away. That's right. Uh-huh. Go make your money touring. Dig it? Oh, mercy. Okay, we're going to come back, talk a little bit more. Shake, rattle, and roll. Mm-hmm. Everybody knows Bill Haley and the Comets. No. It was originally by Big Joe Turner. Ooh, yes. And his version is so much more dirty and so much better. Oh, is that what you're going to play? Here's about 15 seconds of Bill Haley right into Big Joe Turner here on Rock School. Get out in that kitchen and rattle those pots and pans. I said that there was some protection starting in 1938. What was that? Broadcast Music International. The idea of BMI, a second licensing firm. Because there was only one, a monopolistic firm called ASCAP, A-S-C-A-P, the American Society of Composers and Producers. Say it again. The American Society of Composers and Producers. And when BMI came in, it really angered people because what it did was give representation to blues, country, hillbilly, gospel, folk, Latin, all these little tiny... Anything that wasn't, right? Right. These little tiny regional musics uh, that wasn't what they called white 
pop. That's and right. And that's literally what it was called. Oh, yeah, it was all white the other pop. stuff. Exactly. Uh-huh. And ASCAP is partly responsible for BMI even coming into existence. ASCAP was, and I don't think there's any other way to say it, a racist thought process company. What they did was simply state all African-American people are not entitled to royalties because of that movement so through the 1920s. So they were racist on purpose. Yes. Yes. And it was legal because of what happened through race records. Yeah. What they, $50 and a bottle of liquor. That's it. Right? $50 and a bottle of whiskey. Oh. That's the concept. So ASCAP said, these. we're going to play their music, uh-huh. but they sure as heck are not worthy of the royalties and money and stuff like that. So what they did was because they were a monopoly, they said to radio stations, which at the time was the only way for people to really get music rather than going to see it live, they said, we're tripling our royalty rates, which was even better for them because this music that didn't have to pay royalties, they got the whole triple. And radio went, and look, I'm saying this very quickly. It, yeah. This took a few years to happen. Yep. But radio said, no, this is absurd. There's this new group over here called BMI, and they're letting us play for regular royalty rates. You can jam it. Yeah, and people want to hear it. Exactly that. And uh-huh. many people believe it's one of the reasons that rock and roll took off as quickly as it did. See, I'm of the opinion rock and roll was in the late 40s. Not 55 with Bill Haley like so many people believe. Yeah. It really started son of a gun and galong in the late 1940s. And part of it was this BMI thing. The radio stations just weren't going to pay the white pop stuff. Right. And they played the other stuff. Neato Mosquito. I love it. It goes on and it also gets pretty bad. Who's listening to us on this here radio station? W A B L in Amy, Louisiana. An ex student of mine runs W A B L. Who is that ex student? Dustin Arroyo, and he's a rock star. Woohoo! Back in a minute here on Rock School. Hey, Rock School listener, you hear this little thing going on right now, this this music bed that goes on for a minute, we do it twice during the show? This is where a sponsor should be. This is where an underwriter should be. If you or some business you know might want to be that sponsor or underwriter of the Rock School radio show, please have that person give us a call, 985-549-2330. Once again, 985 985- Five four nine two three three zero. You can sponsor the radio show. You can sponsor the podcast. You can sponsor both. There's other ways of doing it. So call that number nine eight five five four nine two three three zero and talk with Rachel, or you can talk to Todd if you really want to talk to Todd for some reason. But Rachel's really who you want to speak to. Five four nine two three three zero. Thanks. Okay, coming out of the break. ASCAP music is being hurt by BMI. There's no two ways about it. Right. BMI does not want triple the royalties, plus they are seen as a primitive music to our more than better than you white pop. Uh Right? uh There's big trouble. Why are we looking at whitewashing then? If there is representation and there are people that are caring about it, how in the world are we in trouble again? Yeah, tell me. Payola. Payola. Oh, that old thing, huh? Here's the concern. Uh-huh. When ASCAP really started to get hurt bad, what they did, along with lobbyists, went to Orrin Harris. 
Orrin Harris. Orrin Harris. Harris. Mm-hmm. He's a Democrat. And Orrin Harris was the head of the House Subcommittee on Legislative Oversight. That group with Orrin Harris in charge had just finished the game show scandals hearings. Okay. And that's in the 1940s and 50s. That was really something. All the game shows were fake. Right. And people were given the answers. Yeah. I don't know. And back then that was really something. Uh Uh-huh. Why doesn't it upset people today because we have all these reality television shows? Yeah. They're all fake. They're all fake. Absolutely. And we've just gotten to the point where being fake isn't bad anymore. It's entertaining. I know you do. And that's that's the one thing that bothers me about you. Oh my that's it? That that's the only thing? So Well there's a couple of things that bother me about you. (laughs) Orrin Harris was a hero because of the game show scandals. So he was contacted, and again, I'm giving you the Fisher-Price version. There's much more to this. He was contacted by lobbyists and ASCAP to put down this stupid BMI yeah. that is starting to hurt us all. Here's the thing. How you put him down. Rock, right. Rock and roll and the blues music and the jazz music and all of that stuff was on BMI. And it's big now. So what, right, and was starting to really take off. Thanks to radio. Mm-hmm. And what people said was, you have got to stop this. And Orrin Harris said, you're right. I hate rock and roll. Let's get rid of it. Boo. And he brought in the disc jockeys. To which, when I lecture on this, I say, why would you bring in the disc jockeys? Don't they love rock and roll? They simply accepted the payola money. Uh-huh. Why don't you go after the companies that are paying yeah. the payola? But that's not what he did. He brought in the hip jocks because that would have created more press. And they're much better speakers than the regular people, right? (laughs) That's completely true. And it also was where my favorite disc jockey of all time, Alan Freed, opened his mouth and said dumb things. Well, here's the thing. Payola, the idea of accepting money for playing a record, wasn't illegal at the time. However, not paying taxes on what you got was. No. And that's how they got them. That's how they get you every time. Right. And it's one of the things that destroyed radio. Oh. It didn't matter though. This was a racially motivated set of hearings. Rock and roll, African American music was tarnished further because of it. Yeah, I get it. Radio took a punch in the nose. But really, it was more of an attack on African American music, basically stating, don't do that. Don't you dare come up against our perfect white pop and oh, all that kind of stuff. No. If you do, we will push you down further. Goodness. Get me? Yeah. Get me? Got to play another one. Do it. Do you know the song? Shaboom, shaboom. Yada da 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 da. Shaboom, shaboom. Which version? The crew cuts had the, had the big hit. Uh-huh. That's not who recorded it. No, it isn't. It was the chords who recorded it. Once again, squeaky clean white artists uh, recording these songs. The African-American version is better, but the hit was from the white artist. So we're going to play about 15 minutes of the crew cut, 15 seconds <laughs> of the crew cuts right into the chords here on Rock School. Oh, la, 
life could be a dream If I could take you up in paradise up above If you would tell me I'm the only one that you love Life could be a dream, sweetheart Hello, hello again Shaboom and hope we'll meet again Oh, life could be a dream Life could be a dream Life could be a dream Do, 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 shaboom Life could be a dream If I could take you up in paradise up above If you would tell me I'm the only one that you love Life could be a dream Sweetheart, hello, hello again Shaboom and open we'll meet again Boom, ding-dong, ding-dong Shalang-dalang-dalang Ho-ho-ho-ho-bip A-bip-a-do-ba-dip Life could be a dream If only all my precious plans would come true If you would let me spend my whole life loving you Life would be a dream, sweetheart Every time I look at you Life could be a dream, sweetheart Hello, hello again Shaboom and hope we meet again Boom, boom, boom Ding-dong, ding-dong Life could be a dream Life could be a dream do 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 Coming into the bottom of the hour, once again, I'm Joe Burns. You are... Tammy Burns. So we are to the concern of the whitewashing problem. Yep. Rock and roll, rhythm, and blues were seen as a problem. And although the songs were great, they tended to be a little on the sexual innuendo side. A little. And of course, they were done by African-American artists, which made people concerned. As Cap and the broadcast world suggested that the songs could be taken and covered, and then the protection and royalties were handed out differently. Just know that this whitewashing didn't last very long. Only about four years it lasted. Enough. You would think because of BMI Mm -hmm. that the protection was there, and also there were copyright laws which were in place thanks to ASCAP. Remember, in 1909, they argued to have longer laws. Yeah, right. According to the paper, Copyright Culture and Black Music, A Legacy of Unequal Protection, really a good paper, by the way, although laws were in place, there was this thing called the White Umbrella of owners and providers, and they were in charge of handing out the protection. And they would hand out, seriously, they would hand out protection to white artists much differently than African-American artists. This is just the dirtiest thing I've ever heard. Isn't it awful? It's terrible. It's it's insipid. And it's one of those things when I talk about this, and I talk about racism in movies to students, they're like, well, why didn't they do that? You can't lay today... Right. Over the 1940s. Exactly. And think it's going to be the same. The people who took the slings and arrows so you can make the statements that you do. This is why I tell your the students. Grandfathers, That's your right. grandfathers. Your great-grandfathers. Yes. Right. The yep. people who yep. took the slings and arrows. The people who stood up and stuck exactly. their chest out and said, we're not putting up with this. Yep. Those are the people that allow you to make the statements that you do. Yep. And you should thank them all the time. Amen. The the artist, you know, uh, pick your favorite African-American artist. You go back 50 years. Uh-huh. Nothing that that person did w- is doing now would be allowed or their song would simply be taken. It says here, worse yet, according to that paper, uh, a cover of a black song, a white cover of a black song, even before the idea of whitewashing was given better protection than the original. 
so the original did not make the money, the cover did. So dirty. So, let's do 7 days, 70 seconds. It is the bottom of the hour. These are the rock and roll dates, April 1st through April 7th. You got Monday, Tammy, go. April 1st, 1996. MC Hammer files for bankruptcy. And I just have to say it. Say April it. April 1st is your birthday. Oh, thank so, you, honey. So, happy birthday. Welcome. You know what I thought you were going to say? What, that when you're I, 39 again? No, when I originally read this, yeah. I read Mick Hammer. Well, how funny is that? That was, a, that was a hamburger that was put out by McDonald's that would move back and forth when you played <laughs> a funky beat. Uh, April 2nd, 2006, Crazy Tops, the UK chart, becoming the first single to do so with the majority of downloads. And April 3rd, 1976, Johnny Taylor's Disco Lady becomes the first single to top the chart with the word disco in the title. April 4, 1973, Elvis Presley's concert, Elvis Aloha from Hawaii, is broadcast to a billion viewers. A billion, with on, a B. Right, One on billion. NBC via satellite. April 5th, 1961, on the Adventures of Ozzy and Harriet episode, Ricky Nelson sings Traveling Man in what would be considered the first music video. I never not true. That. No, not true. Okay, what is the, what first is the music? First? The first music video is in the Beatles movie Hard Day's Night. Okay. You know, can't buy me yeah, love. Yeah, I thought you had said that before. Right. What they did was they took that song and simply lifted it out of the movie and used it to pitch the movie in a trailer. Once again, I hate Ricky Nelson, there right? There you go. There you go. April 6, 1974, ABBA song Waterloo wins the annual Eurovision Song Contest. Eurovision! And then <laughs> April 7, 1990, Guns N' Roses play their last show with drummer Steven Adler. They kicked him out because of drugs. Yeah. How many drugs do you have to take to be kicked out of Guns and Roses. I can't even imagine. You know the song by Frankie Lyman and the Teenagers? Uh-huh. Why do fools fall in love? Yep. You would think that was the big hit. No. Gail Storm had the big hit. About 15 seconds of Gail and then right into Frankie Lyman and the Teenagers. Sounds like this on Rock School. Okay, into the second break. I have said a couple times on the show that what was done to African-American artists was perfectly legal. And some people may be saying, how is that possible? Well, there's this wonderful article, once again, Black Musical Traditions and Copyright Law Historical Tensions. It's different than the first article I was talking about. It also is quite good. Here's the problem. In copyright law, there is this thing called work 
for hire. Do you know what work for hire I, is? Yeah, I think it's 40 hours a week. Well, and that's you true. get breaks and all that kind of stuff, right? That's true. You are employed. But let's say I'm working at my university, uh -huh. Southeastern Louisiana University. Right. And in the commission of my duties, they, you know, I, I, I invent something. Okay. And it makes a gajillion dollars. Nice. You know, think Florida. Ooh, leave. Yeah. Think Florida and the guys that invented Gatorade. Yeah, right. Okay. Gatorade is not owned by the people who, you know, invented it right it's owned by florida uh-huh right university of florida exactly yep. that so that's a work for hire so Aww. when a white artist would be taken under the wing of one of these publishing companies mm -hmm. what they would do is set up a deal where you own it or we own it and we pay you um a royalty for each time it's done However, with an African-American artist, they would claim that the song was written as a work for hire. And after the work for hire was filed with the copyright office, it was owned by the company. And then the company had every right to decide whether they would pay royalties or whether they would give you 50 bucks and a bottle of liquor. Oh, my goodness. Right. So that's, that's how they did it. That's how they made it legal. And you say that can't happen. Yeah, as a matter of fact, it can. So if I create something at work, that's, there's a reason why we record this show here in my house. Yeah, what's that reason? Because that means I don't record it at Southeastern Louisiana University. Uh -huh. You and I own this outright. We do. Now, will anything come of this show? I hope. A lot of entertainment, and I hope people are happy. But if it becomes a million-dollar industry, we own it. Oh, I'm out of here, dude. Whereas if it was at the school, uh -huh. they would own it. You can just kiss my uh, goodbye. <laughs> Again. Yes. Hey, who's listening to us? WWNW New Wilmington, PA. There you go. Westminster College, my old alma mater. Back in a minute here on Rock School. Hey there, Rock School listeners. Let me give you a few nuts and bolts of the show. You want to get in touch with Tammy or me, or Todd for some reason? Go to southeastern.edu slash rockschool. Once again, southeastern.edu slash rockschool. You can get us on Facebook by searching Rock School Radio Show. You can get us on podcast over iTunes, so they send it right to your front door. Go to iTunes and search Rock School KSLU. There's other ways of getting there, but that's the easiest way. Rock School KSLU. Also, if you don't like listening to the podcast where the music is clipped, we're following BMI rules when we do that. If you'd like to hear it with all the music in place, go to the PRX network, prx.org. Once again, prx.org. You can't download the show, but you sure can stream it, and all the music is in place. Thanks for listening. Coming out of the break... I also made the statement early, early in the show that this idea of whitewashing, mm -hmm. was it all bad? Well, it was insipid, but here's the thing. When kids heard the squeaky clean, you know, white artist version, yeah. they're kids. It took about a half a split millisecond for someone to say, you know, that's really not Pat Boone. Uh -huh. That's this guy over here. Oh, God, my parents would hate that. I better listen to it. I mean, I would listen to music when I was younger just because it angered my I father. Know, right? It took seconds for that information to get out. 
It says here that Whitewater backfired terribly. According to the article, Racial Roots of Rock and Roll by James Jordan, whitewash was sniffed out pretty quick by the teens who were listening to the radio. It says here there was never a solid line of demarcation. Like, whites only listen to whites and African Americans only listen to African Americans. Yeah. It was constantly being jumped back and forth. And the upcoming generations, if they weren't already listening to African American music, learned about it quickly thanks to the white covers. Now you say, well, Joe, you're an idiot. No, 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 no. Even according to Little Richard, this is a quote. When I started with the Wet Babaloo Balap Bamboom and Pat Boone covered it, I was angry. I remember specialty records owner Art Roop saying that he had put my record on the top station and then along comes Pat Boone. The white kids wanted mine because it was real, it was rough, it was raw, but Pat Boone had the smoother version. Uh-huh. So a lot of the white kids would take mine, put it in the drawer, yeah. and then put his record right. on top of the dresser. <laughs> I was mad, but I was selling records. Now, years later, I think about it. I look back. He said it was good. But at the time, I literally could not stand it. Yeah. Does that make sense? Yes, it does. All right. We got to play a song here. What do you say we do one of those Pat Boone covers? A little bit of the Pat Boone? And then oh, right a into little bit. here on Rock School. You made me cry when you said goodbye. Ain't that a shame? My tears fell like rain. Ain't that a shame? You're the one to blame. You made me cry. When you said goodbye, ain't that a shame? My tears fell like rain. Ain't that a shame? You're the one to blame. You broke my heart when you said we'll part. Ain't that a shame? My tears feel like rain My tears feel like rain Ain't that a shame You're the one to blame Last break here on Rock School. I mention all the time that my radio hero is Alan Freed. Yep. And... I was, you know, by the time I could even listen to radio, Alan Freed had passed away. So, Joe, how in the world are you able to say those things? Well, because it, I guess three things. Number one, he was just a brutal disc jockey. Right. There's all these services, especially when I was doing radio back before the Internet. There was all these services where you could listen to recordings of a person on the air. Yeah. He was just brutal. I mean, he wasn't good. He was unbelievable. Yep, That's he was number the one. Man. Number two, I mentioned it as well. The payola hearings. Mm-hmm. He did not just stand there like Dick Clark did. Oh, I'm so sorry. Slap on the wrist. Pay a fine. Go away. Oh, okay. You're really great. You're you government. You everything. No, he looked at the people and said, "Yeah, I took money. Don't you take money? Aren't you a aren't you a senator?" 
He wouldn't put up with it. Right. They destroyed him, uh-huh. but he died with his dignity intact. I don't know that that's a great thing or not, but... I think so. Another yeah. thing that makes me so proud of him mm-hmm. was during the whitewashing scandal. What And it wasn't a scandal at the time. He was doing what radio stations were being told to do. He was playing the white covers. He went down to a place in Cleveland, Ohio. In fact, I believe it was still there when I was growing up. It might be there now. It's called Record Rendezvous. And the guy that owned Record Rendezvous, he went in to get the songs of the, you know, of the day. Yeah. And the guy at Record Rendezvous said, you know what, Alan, the kids aren't buying the stuff you're playing. I, I get it. You're playing Pat Boone. Right. They ain't buying Pat Boone. Right. They're buying Little Richard. They're buying, you know, 60 Minute Man. They're not buying the cover. They're buying the original. And he's theorized, and it, it's so nice, again, to think that clouds part, single beam of light, and he goes, oh, I shall change. Uh-huh. He did. It just wasn't, you know, click, click, click like that. Yeah. But still, he changed. And he started calling himself the Moon Doggy, and some people are going to yell at me. No, he was calling himself the Moon Doggy previous. Yeah, but the persona wasn't there until he started really doing this on the nifty 8:50, a.m. He began playing everything that the radio stations were being told not to play, and still today, his radio show in Cleveland, and then his radio station on WINS in New York, still today, to this day, has some of the largest jumps from first place to second place of any other disc jockey in town. The, really? When you looked at the ratings, uh-huh. the, the space between number two and number one, he still has some of the largest jumps ever wow. in it. I mean, he just didn't win the market. He destroyed it. Goodness. And it was because he said, I'm not doing this. I'm not playing these stupid white covers. I'm playing what the people want, not what I'm being told to play. Well, let me ask you something. Yes. Did Pat Boone ever apologize or change or feel like an idiot for doing this? I've never read that he has. Well, what did he say at the, what was it, the, the trials, the, yeah. the, the PMRC trials? It what wasn't, did he say? It wasn't the trials of the PMRC. Uh-huh. It wasn't the government thing of the PMRC. Okay. But when the PMRC was really moving things and they were helping Jimmy Swaggart take down rock and roll and all right. that, Pat Boone made the statement that censorship is not a bad thing. No civilization can exist without it. Now, I probably don't have the words right on the money, uh-huh. but that's what he said. Oh, Pat. And it's one of those things where Ooh. I really hate censorship until it's something that I want censored. <laughs> then I'm okay with it. But don't, don't put any censorship on my music. I agree. I agree. Back off, dude. But let's remember, you uh-huh. can't lay today over yesterday. Right. You know? So there you go. And that's the idea of it. That's it's a very small, very small window, but very insipid and gross section of our music history. It is ugly, man. And that it should, is ugly. It should be told, and that's why I did it. I'm Joe Burns. I'm Tammy Burns. That does it. Class is dismissed. You ain't nothing but a hound dog.
Thank you.